This is the final chapter. We are making our CM on Sefer Yoshua, which is very exciting. And I have my drink with me, and I hope you will also have your, your drink so we can make l'chaim, l'chaim, l'chaim. It's a hard Sefer Yoshua. It's a hard Sefer. It's not an easy one. There are themes that are difficult, and there are chapters that are completely um, technical that are difficult. And so finishing Yeshua is definitely a great accomplishment. Uh, I plan to take a break because I want to start Shoftim not in the middle of the summer when everybody's going to be running around doing stuff. So I don't know exact date. I think um, probably Marguerite will know. So uh, probably the first, you know, as soon as we finish with the Benaz Manim, we'll start Sefer Shoftim. Is a Tashem, and that is a really, really very interesting and fun safer. So a lot of great stories in there. Okay, so without further ado, I'm gonna screen share and we'll get to our text. Okay, so I usually like to start with this text. Um, and here we see it's actually a very long chapter, chapter 24. It has um, 33 psukim, but it's divided into several sections. And the, the, way, the way I, uh, you could divide it for, further, but I understand it to have uh, a couple of main themes. The first one is the gathering that Yeshua makes at Shrem with the Jewish people. And there, Hashem, uh, uh, Yeshua gives a recap of all of Hashem's miracles, and of the great uh, history of the Jewish people. And then you have a section where, I'm not sure I agree with the way they divide it up here. The section there that is sort of um, after the history lessons, there's a history lesson, Yeshua goes back and tells them all of the different things that, that Hashem did for them. And then there's this sort of very strange, seriously strange dialogue between, um, between Yoshua and the Jewish people, where he, uh, he challenges them, he challenges them in a very dramatic way to choose Hashem and not idols, and uh, insists that they make the correct commitment. And then at the end is sort of the last few seconds is kind of a summary of the end of the story, the death of Yeshua, and stuff like that. So we'll go to this one, the Meshulav. I like this one, it's very pretty, nice colors. So Pasuk Aleph is basically the introduction by Yesof Yeshua at Kol Shuftei Yisrael Shechema. By Yikrol Zikne Yisrael Uvashav, Ushoftav, Ushotrav, by Yitzyatzfu Lefneha Elokim. A lot is happening in Pasuk Aleph. So first of all, we have to ask ourselves, didn't we just do this in chapter 23? In chapter 23, it's a shorter chapter, but you see, right? When God gave them rest and Yeshua was old, now he gathers them all again. So why is he gathering them all again? Now, the uh, Barbanel has a beautiful, uh, let me find this for you. A beautiful explanation of this, right? I think he says that after Yeshua spoke to the people the previous words, that means chapter 23, right? The nation didn't answer anything. Nobody said anything. And Lonit Kararadato, he was not, it's a really literally cold. His, his knowledge didn't become cold, which is an expression for calm. He wasn't calm. He didn't feel a sense of completion with what had happened in chapter 23. And therefore he sought to bring them back, rebuke them again in order to ask questions in a way that they'll have to, they'll be, it's a necessity for them to answer him with what's in their hearts and there he can do, he can get an answer. And that's why he made a second um, rebuke. 
Okay, it's very, very interesting Abarbanel. Now, going back to the text, he gathers them, Shechem, this is sort of a counterintuitive situation. Why Shechem? Now, I have confession to make. I don't like Shechem. I've been there. It's a nasty place. I, I want you to know, for those of you who are too young, right? I've been, I've been to these places before all the, the different, uh, you know, agreements and stuff. Back in the day, before I was married even, we went to these places, we went everywhere. We went to Hebron on Arab buses. I can't even imagine it today. And we went to Shechem and there are places in the land of Israel, notably to my mind, Shechem and Hebron, where the hatred that they feel for you is so strong that waves of it come at you. It's, just, it's palpable. Now, I'm not one of these EBGB feely, touchy, feely types. So if I was feeling the hatred, I wasn't, I wasn't fooling myself. Shechem is a bad place. Now, I'll tell you what happened in Shechem. First of all, Dina was raped there. Not a good start to our story, okay? Yosef was sold there. Another delightful chapter in our history, okay? And then in Malachim, this is where Yeravim splits off the kingdom. So that's like really horrible. This is a bad thing. Like what is going on? Why Shechem? So one of the uh, different explanations that I've heard is that all three of those terrible events, the rape of Dina and the, the sale of Yosef and the splitting of the kingdom are all about division. They're all about division because it was the two brothers of Dina from their mother, Leah, who stood up for her. And it was the brothers, the sons of Leah, who sold the son of Rachel. And it was the division between the, you know, the Malchus David, which is, and the Malchus Ephraim, which is, which is Rachel, that was the splitting of the kingdom. So this is perhaps a warning. We'll go to Shechem where division is part of the territory where it's a place, it's a place of danger. And we'll reiterate there that we need to be united and we need to stick together. And that is one thought. The other thought is the Radak, which I don't, didn't open for you, I don't think. Maybe. I'll get you the Radak. Okay. Mishpashik. Radak says here um, the uh, okay. Maybe in Shechem, the Radak says, and not in Shiloh, because the, uh, here, Alpia Dibur, maybe that's why Hashem told him to go and why. Number one, this is the place that Abraham Abinu came first. This is where it all started, right? Bayavo el Makom Shechem. And secondly, there was a great miracle that happened to Yaakov there because after the destruction of, of the city of Shechem by the sons of Yaakov in the wake of the rape of Dina, nobody chased Yaakov and nobody, um, nobody started up with them. And that was a great miracle. And right, also, right, the Nachala happened there. This is the first place that Yaakov purchased land in the land of Israel. Now, of course, we know that Abraham purchased Marat Machpelah, and we know that David purchased the Harabayit, and it's very, very interesting that, that Yaakov purchased Shechem, right? And it's very interesting historically, if we follow the way it goes, those are the three most hotly contested places in the land of Israel today, the Harabayit, Marat Machpelah and the Kever Yosef in Shechem. It's very, very interesting because we're constantly here where there was just a terror attack 
in, uh, in Shechem, in the Kever Yosef, just a short time ago. And these are the places that are documented in the Tanakh that we actually bought. So that's, there's a number of lessons here. Number one, that um, we can't just walk into Eretz Yisrael, certainly not in our day, we have to buy. That is also here, right? Uh, what Yaakov tells his descendants in Shechem, Hasiru Remove the foreign gods that are amongst you. And this is going to be the exact same thing that Yoshua says. So that seems to be one of the reasons that we might have for being in Shechem. And the other, as I mentioned, is the, the idea of the, the divisions that happen in Shechem and how we're trying to work on unity. So we have a couple of ideas here. We need to work on being united. That's a very, very great value in Judaism, alibi, that we should be uh, united in our, uh, in our own country. And secondly, that you know, the idea of purchasing land, which is also an important idea. And let's go further in this Pasuk, right? He calls all the tribes of Israel to Shem, but he calls Yisrael, the elders, the heads, the judges, and the shotrim, similar to chapter 23, all the leaders. So what does that mean? That they stood before God. And this seems quite clear. The, the Mitsuda says here, It seems as if the covenant that Yeshua wants to make with the people is going to be done in the presence of the Aron in the Aron from Shiloh to Shem, and then we're going to have this whole situation. Now, Yeshua, let's just step back for a second. This is the end of his life. Even in chapter 23, he said, I am old. I am coming along in days. I am going to be gathered to my fathers. He says many things. I'm going, no, he goes, I'm going in the way of all the land. The Derek Kala Aretz, he said. So he knows it's the end of his life. And we have to think for a second, what does Yeshua want to give over to the people? What does he want to express to them now that he is there, um, you know, leaving? He's, he's uh, checking out. And we have to figure out based on what he actually says, which is the, the history of the Jewish people, Olam, it says in Hazina, remember, and also, the idea that he wants them to commit themselves to Kodesh Baruch Hu and abandon idol worship. And these are the main themes here. If you want to think about it and try to figure out what do you think would be the most important thing that a leader could give over to his people? And we have examples, okay? Before Yaakov dies, he gathers his sons together and he gives them each a sort of, you know, uh, direction that their tribe is going to go in before Moshe dies. He does a similar thing. Moshe spends a lot of time telling the Jewish people, warning them. And it, we just had a very, very beautiful, um, in, in the last week's parasha, Pinchas, where Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu that he's going to die. And Hashem said, and Moshe says, Hashem, right, you've got a, okay, right, and he's concerned, Moshe, is being told he's going to die. Who is going to take over from him? Who is going to be the next leader, right? That the children of Israel should not be like sheep without a shepherd. It is the most selfless declaration on earth. This is Moshe's thought at this point. It's actually very interesting here that Yoshua does many, many of the exhortations that, that um, Moshe does, but the worry for the next generation of leaders, that's sort of unclear. It's sort of unclear. And when we get to Sefer Shoftim, you will see that this is going to be a perennial problem, leadership in Israel. But Yeshua has people who can take over. Um, Kalev is still alive. Pinchas and Elazar are there. There are many elders. So it seems as if that there is leadership, but that's not the direction she was going in. So let's go to Pasuk Bet. 
even more familiar. If this sounds familiar to you, then it should, because that's a passage that's lifted from this chapter and put into the Haggadah of Pesach. And this is a very, very interesting um, discussion. Why is this chosen to be in Haggadah Shal Pesach? Okay. And the Gemara Psachim, I didn't actually open that for you, but the Gemara Psachim discusses this and says that. Um, The, the Haggadah begins with disgrace and ends with praise. This is the uh, expression in the Gemara. What does it mean? It means that, the, what, what is the point of the Haggadah? Right? The point of the Haggadah is that we are being told of all the miracles of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and we are retelling those miracles to our children so that they will know and they will be able to recognize what God has done for us. Now, the Gemara seems to take a step back and say, wait, you can't really appreciate what's going on and what God has given you unless you go backwards and say where you started. So there's a debate in the Gemara. Here. Okay, the debate in the, in the Gemara in the Gemara Psachim is: Do we start with this passage, right, and go on, right, starting with the Avodah or do we start with Abedim Hayinu? Now, if you look, I've, I've opened up the Haggadah here for you. We start with the Manishtana and Abedim Hayinu. Amadim Hayinu, and God took us out, and we uh, are now free. And then after, you know, we go through a little bit of the Haggadah and the four sons, then we come to Yochavah and then this quote from Yeshua. Mitchila, Ovdi Avodzara Hayu Avotenu, Achshav Kirbanu Makom Labatato, Shenemar. And this is the quote from our section. So the, there's a debate in the Gemara Psachim. I should have opened it for you, but sorry about that. The debate is, right, Rav says that we should start with, right, this section, right? Right? And we should end with the greatness of the Jewish people that God chose us. And Shmuel says, no, we should start with Abedim Hayinu and end with our freedom. Getting back to the text. Rav Soloveitchik seems to say on this that there is a distinction here between Rav and Shmuel because Rav is saying, we need to go with the spiritual disgrace. We need to understand the spiritual roots of where we started, or where we came from, so that we can understand the greatness of our spiritual destiny as expressed in the Haggadah. And Shmuel is going more in the direction of the physical. We were slaves and then we were freed. Very, very interesting distinction of Rav Soloveitchik. And um, actually in the end, we do have both in the Haggadah. Now, We'll look here at Pasuk Bed, let's understand it. And Yeshua says to all the people, thus says Hashem, the God of Israel, your fathers lived, Be'ever Nahar, across the river, that's the, the Euphrates, the Nahar Prat, Terach, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahar, and they served other gods. And this is really a very startling thing to say this, because 
we don't really usually see this about Abraham and his family, that they were idol worshippers. But this is the place where this is stated straight out. Avram came from a family of idol worshippers, and that's who they were. I find this very interesting because we don't mention here the third brother. There was a third brother, Haran. I have not found anybody who discusses why Haran isn't in there. I just don't. I haven't found a source. If someone finds one, they could tell me. Haran's convictions were very shaky. It was wishy-washy. So perhaps uh, we haven't got him there for that reason. I don't know, right? But God chooses Abraham. There's another interesting thing. Hashem says, I took uh, your father Abraham from the other side of the river and I took him in all the land of Canaan and I gave him a lot of children and I gave him Yitzchak, right? And here we have this question, what is, what's going on here? What is Hashem trying to say? And one of the things we have to learn here is that Hashem wanted Abraham to come to the land because the land of Israel is a holy land. And there, Abraham's spiritual growth could be the most effective. But it is Abraham that's chosen, and he is given the opportunity. And the Be'er Moshe says, Hashem gives us opportunities every generation, and we have to look for them, and we have to grab them. So there's a very nice lesson for us. Hashem is giving us opportunities all the time, and um, we have to open our eyes and take them. Now, why is Yishmael left out here? And the other sons of Keturah? It's a question. That's uh, There's a number of answers to that, but the most obvious answer is that he he wasn't the son of Sarah. They weren't the sons of Abraham's main wives. The Abarbanel has an interesting insight here. If you go on in Pasuk Dalet, we see, but Taylor Yitzchak is Yaakov is Esau. So it's not as if the one that's not chosen is not mentioned. The Abarbanel says the only children that are mentioned are the children that were miraculously born to Akarot, to barren women, which is a very interesting, and Barbara has some very, very interesting comments here. Now, then we get this comment in Dalit, but why do we care about Asab and what's the point here, right? And it says a number of things here. First of all, Yishmael, Yishmael has not ever relinquished his claims. He doesn't care. The descendants of Yishmael don't really care that Hashem chose Abraham over Nahar and Terah, and that Hashem chose Yitzchak over um, Yishmael. Right? You see here that Hashem chooses Yaakov over Esav. Yishmael does not relinquish his claims. He's still there. But Esav was sort of shunted aside. You, you go to Harseya, you take that, I'm done, we're done with Esav. We don't care about you anymore. But it's Yaakov and his children who are the worthy chosen ones. They're going to Mitzrayim not because it's a picnic in Mitzrayim, but because of the growth that will happen for them spiritually as a nation and nationally in that Kura Barzel, in that um, fiery furnace of slavery. Now, it's interesting that um, the Maral says that this is all the choice. The main point is that God is choosing the worthy one. He chooses Abraham. He chooses Yitzhak. He chooses Yaakov over the competitors. And they are the ones, until Yaakov's sons are all worthy, and those are the ones that are going down. And that's going to show how Hashem brings us near and, and cares for us. Now, the, the rest of this section of history is also kind of telescoped in a very interesting way. And I sent, Hashem says, Pasuke, I sent Moshe and Aaron, and I plagued the Mitzrayim, I, I, all these things I did in their midst, and after that I took you out. 
So now we have, you know, the, the whole story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim very quickly. And I took your forefathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea and the, the Mitzrayim, the Egyptians chased after your fathers with, a, with chariots and horsemen until the Yamsuf. Very, very interesting if you follow the different things that are going on here. Right? You, they cried out to God, and he put darkness between you and Mitzrayim, between you and Mitzrayim, and he brought on him the sea, and he covered him, and your eyes saw what I did in Mitzrayim, and you dwelt in the desert many days. A number of very interesting inconsistencies here that we were switching from third to second person. Did you notice that? Right? So the um, Farshim say here um, that number one, right, this is the Rashi. Rashi says, right, I'll call Yachid Yachid. Right? He brought upon him the sea. Singular, okay, this is what, sorry. And the Mitsudas talks about the ma'afel, right? Two interesting facets here. Rashi is bringing out that it says that each person, singular, Right, came into the sea, that each one that tried to run away, a specific wave was sent after him to bring him down. And the Mitsudas makes a point on this ma'afel, what is this darkness? And the Mitsudas explains that if a person, the, the Egyptians were chasing the Jews, chasing the Jews, were following them, and it was dark in front of them, so they couldn't see where they were going, and they didn't realize that they're entering into the split sea. Because if they had seen the sea split, they would have been suspicious and said, oh, this is a very dangerous situation, and they would not have gone forward. So that's a very interesting uh, thought. Now, the Radak says, right, we don't have the Radak in this edition. The Radak says, all the second persons are because Yeshua realizes when he's addressing this crowd, anyone who is under 20 or over 60 at the time of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim saw this and is still alive. It's only the 20 to 60 group that was that died in the desert. There we go. Telescoping again. And there you go. We, we, you know, all the 40 years in the desert, we're not talking about it. But I brought you to the land of Amori on the other side of the East Bank, and they fought with you, and I gave them in your hands, and you inherited their land, and I destroyed them. Here's a reference to O Sihon and O, the two nations that were um, destroyed in the East Bank, Pasiktet. And all of a sudden, like of all the stories in the Tanakh and in the Bamidbar, and this particular, you know, no mention of a lot of different things that were going on. This is interesting. And Balak ben Sipor, the king of Moab, fought Israel. And actually, he didn't actually physically fight Israel. So the Mephoshim say that actually it meant that he hired Bilaam. But his notion of warfare was to call Bilam to have Bilam curse the Jewish people. I don't want to hear Bilam's curses. I saved you. I made him bless you. Right? And it's very, very interesting because um, the idea is that Hashem did not allow that curse to happen. And whatever followed afterwards, which we had the sad story in the last parsha of the um, the plague that happened because of the sin of Peor, nobody could say come forward and say, well, it's because Bilam cursed them, because Bilam did not curse them. God did not allow that to happen. 
Now, um, let's go on. Pasuk Yud. Below Abitu, I'm sorry, Yud Aleph. But Tabu Tayadain, but Taboa Yericho, by Elohim Bachem Bala Yericho, Hamoi, Aprizi, Haknali, Hachizi, Hagyogashi, Hachive, by Yerusi, by Tate, and Tami Adem. This is also a very interesting Pasuk. You crossed the Jordan, you came to Yericho, and the masses of Yericho fought against you. Now, that's also something that, what? You know, we know that the Battle of Yericho was a complete and utter miracle, and there really wasn't any fighting going on. So, what are we talking about? So, Rashi says something interesting. All of these seven idol worshiping nations that are mentioned came, right? Because Yericho was the key. Manul shall Eretz Israel, the lock, the key to the land of Israel. So they all gathered in it, the seven nations, the great um, powerful warriors. The idea was that the people of the lands of Canaan felt that if they fight at the place of Yericho, that is going to be the most crucial fight. And you see that actually there wasn't a battle because Hashem uh, made that victory happen. So the Mefarsha man to different things like they, that they, they actually the warriors went to collect more warriors and they weren't there when the walls fell in or that they actually came back and Paraktet, that they came back to fight to avenge Yerifel. Another interesting thing here is that the Girgashi I mentioned, the seven nations that I mentioned here, those are the seven nations that the Jewish people were told, if they don't leave or surrender on our terms, then they must be destroyed. But we never hear about the Girgashi, and the Girgashi left and moved to Africa. So why are they mentioned here? Because at this point, they were still thinking that they could fight, but the fear of what happened in Yerifa was so great that the Girgashi gave up, right? Either it's not clear before or after, and they moved to Africa, and like they say in the fairy tales, they lived happily ever after. So there they are, till today, all the Girgashi. So they're not here anymore. Pasik Yudbet is a very bizarre situation. But Eshlach of Nechem et Hatzira, but Tikari Shatam if Nechem, Shneimachayamori, Lobakar, Harbacha, Lobakashnacha. This is very weird. Because what is a Tzira, right? A Tzira is a um, here, the Mitsuda says a saraf oaf. It's a sort of poisonous insect that would uh, hit them in the face, right, and blind them, and then they couldn't fight. So it happened that they were defeated not by your sword and not by your bow, but by God's ma ma magical, miraculous hornet or whatever it was. Now that's interesting because we know that this was, we were told in the Chumash, right, uh, that there's going to be this hornet. We went through the whole Sefer Yoshua, we never heard about the hornet before. And it's mentioned the two Amori kings, which are Sichon and Og, in the East Bank. So Rashi here, and it's very interesting, like why isn't Rashi here? Hmm, second. It's just weird. Uh, okay, so I'm not sure where I found that Rashi, but Rashi says, and I'm pretty sure it is Rashi, Rashi says that there were two, two hornets. One was on the East Bank and one was on the West Bank. There's different opinions about these hornets, but it's interesting that it's mentioned here. What does Yoshua want to do here? What is the point? The point is to show the Jewish people how every step of the way, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was taking care of you. He took you out of the idol-worshipping nations. He brought your forefathers here. He trained them. He taught them. He took them Egypt. He put them out of Egypt. He fought the enemies for them in miraculous ways. He got you into the lands again in miraculous ways. All of the chassadim, all of the miracles and chesed that Hashem showered upon the Jewish people, culminating here in Pasekut Gimel, I gave you a land you didn't work for. 
Scenes you didn't build. You sat in it. It's what they call in Israel, you walked in and there it is. Vineyards and olive groves that you didn't plant, that's what you're eating. Do you realize what you have? Do you realize what Akash Baruch gave you? So that's a very important lesson for us. Realize what you have, be grateful, and recognize where it comes from. So Yeshua concludes by saying to the people, a most startling comment. Va'ata, he says, Pasuk Yedalet, Yeru et Hashem, fear God. Serve him with purity, with wholesomeness, with integrity, and in truth. Remove the gods that your forefathers served on the other side of the river, you know, back in uh, Aram and Haran, Aram Naraim and Haran. And in Egypt, this is a very surprising thing. So the conclusion that Yeshua makes after his whole historical survey is now I understand what Hashem did for you. Now you have to serve Hashem and only Hashem and get rid of the idols. So we have a few questions here. First of all, first of all, did they serve idols in Egypt? Because we have been uh, raised on the Midrashim of the Jews, the, the Jews in Egypt, they never changed their dress or their, their names or their, their language and they were tzaddikim. And then there's this sort of hint like, um, maybe they weren't all such tzaddikim. Maybe there was a Lutzara down there. Now, Yeheskel makes mentions of this in chapter 20 of Yeheskel, where he mentions the idols in Egypt. And there are other places where it's mentioned. It's very briefly mentioned here, but Kanareh, apparently, there was idol worship, not just for Abraham before, but also the Jews of Mitzrayim. And it really makes you wonder it really makes you wonder what was going on there. Certainly, we have also Midrashim about the Jews that were um, killed during the plague of darkness, so no one should know, because those were the, the sinful Jews. There are other strange things. But here comes Yeshua, and he says, get rid of the idols. And then you have to ask yourself, where, where are these idols coming from? Did they take them out of Egypt? We've seen the people of Yeshua's time being incredibly righteous. Like the only sin in this Sefer is Achan. I mean, Achan stealing from the Cherem. These people are so straight. They're so God-fearing. It's quite an amazing and wonderful generation. So where are the idols coming from? So the Radak says, the idols come from the spoils of the nations that they conquered. You know, you're taking a nice little, you know, gold hujudengi, you know, it's a nice little thing. And okay, it's an idol, but it's made of solid gold, so what the heck, right? So that's the redox thought. The Mitsuda says something a little more um, uh, metaphorically, says, remove the idols from your hearts. And I kind of love this idea because we all have our Yetzaharas and they're all hidden in our hearts. And that's a, a great lesson for us. Remove those Yetzirahs from your heart. And we know that to our modern ear, the the, the Yetzirah for idol worship is so foreign. We're like, why? Who could possibly bow down to a thing made out of metal or, or wood? Like, what, what kind of rational human being would create something and then bow down to it? So we don't really get this. And the Chazal, this was the downfall of the first temple era. We see this going on and on in future generations. This is a very exceptional generation of Yoshua. But what's going on here? What's that Yetzirah? The Chazal begs Hashem to take it away, and it's taken away so we don't understand it. But we do understand our Yetzirahs. We all have Yetzirahs. Yetzirahs for money, jealousy, um, our our wanting things that we don't need, our generations and generations that wants 
fame and power and recognition and all sorts of things. So we know what the Yetzirahs are. And the Mitzuras is saying, take them out of your hearts. I like that thought very much, a very interesting thought for us. But then Yeshua says something completely counterintuitive. In Pasuk Tesvav, he says, V'imra b'neichem avot Hashem, v'achimu lachem hayom et mitzavodum. V'imra b'neichem you know what? We don't want to serve God. This is really a very strange thing for Yoshua to say. You know what? Choose. You got a choice here. It's a free country. You want to serve God? Serve God. You don't want to serve God? Don't serve God. Serve idols. But Anochi Beitina Avodat Hashem at the end of Pesach Tesvav said, "By the way, me and my household, we're serving God." What is Yeshua up to here? What is going on? What is he trying to do? It's a very, very strange statement. Does Yeshua really wanted to make the choice? You know what? I think today I'm going to serve idols. Like who needs God? What? Of course not. Is this what you would say to your children? You know, when you grow up, just decide. You know. There's a shul here, there's a church there. You know, pick something, whatever appeals to you. This is just not the way Jewish people raise their children. They don't, you know, give those either or. So what is he doing here? He says, you know, it reminds you of Eliyahu on Harakomel, where Eliyahu says, How long are you going to be dancing around between the choices? Make up your minds, guys. If it's God, it's God. If it's idols, it's idols. Just make up your mind. It's a very strange thing. And I, I just want to raise the issue. If you want to uh, find it in the, the Sichas Musar of Chaim Shmulevitz, he has a very, very beautiful discussion of, um, of this idea. Because basically what they're saying is you can't do both. One of the things that we'll find when we get to Sefer Shoftim is the Jews are so confused. There's God, there's idols, there's idols, there's God. If you look at the story of Micha in chapter 17, he has no clue. He serves God, he serves idols, all the same mishmash. It's a challenge. Throw it all in the pot. And Yeshua is saying it's not like that. And Eliyahu is saying it's not like that. You cannot serve God and other idols. You cannot serve God and your own ego. You cannot serve God and, you know, the power of the purse. It has to be a choice. And Rechaim Shmulevit says, the mixing up of good and evil is worse than straight evil. And I think we have it's such a confused generation that we can sort of intuitively understand, right? Evil knows it's evil. It knows it's evil. But people who have a, yeah, this is good, and then maybe that's good, and it's all good, and everything is one big challenge. You don't know what you're doing, and you're capable of much, much worse perversions when you're so confused. But the people, they pick up what Yeshua wants, and they, God forbid, who us never, because that's what Yeshua really wants them to answer. He doesn't really want to say, you know, Yeshua, you're right, I'm going to go serve Baal now. They say, no, 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 that's exactly what Yeshua wants, forget about it. You're like, no, what are you talking about? We would never do that. It's God who took us out of Egypt from slavery. Who did in front of us all these great miracles. Who guarded us on this whole path that we went through. We know who took care of us and who guarded us all this time. And he threw out all the nations and the Amori from before us. We are serving God. He's our God. So Yeshua says, you know what? This gets even worse. Too much. Forget about it. As I say, we'll call, forget about it. God is a God of holiness. Who kale can know who? He is a god of jealousy. Who loves all the pishachel chatusechem? He's not going to tolerate all your garbage and your sins. Why don't you just give up, guys? You, you can't do it. 
Like, think about this. Think about how he's pushing them and pushing them. He's like, you know what? You know what? You say you want to serve God, but you don't really mean that because you have no idea how holy God is and how strong he is and how, what he expects of you. Pasikhaf, and this is a real kicker. Keep that pasikhaf. Kita azvut Hashem, abatem elohei mechar, shav beheramachem, vechilatchem, acharei tibuchem. When? Now, ki is a very difficult word here, right? The Matsuda says kasha. Ki could mean a num- number of things. It could mean if, it could mean when, it could mean because. Here, Matsuda interprets it as when. When you abandon God and you serve idols, and God will punish you. And he's done good for you till now, but if you, when that happens, you serve God. And by Yomer Ha'am Pasachavalev, it's a shenavah, no, 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 no. He's got them where he wants them. He's pushing them to the wall. He's saying, guys, it's going to be a rough one. It's not going to be simple to serve God. You're going to be challenged every moment. You're going to, you're going to leave God. And they're like, no, 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 no. They're so adamant and they're so uh, strong. He said, okay. You're serious about this? I pushed you to the wall. You understand your commitment here. I'll tell you what, right? You're witnesses that you said this. You're all going to be witnesses You that you chose God. Now, don't forget that back at Har Sinai, right? It says, God really didn't give us a choice. That's what we understand from the Medrash, right? Here Yeshua says, choose it. I want you to choose God fully completely, freely. And now that they said, yes, yes, no, no, only God. God's been so good to us. How could we serve any other God? And Yoshua says, okay, okay, if that's the case, then you're witnesses that you all said that. And they said, yes, we are. Right? Yes, they said, we are witnesses. Right, but he reiterates, and now he says, just get rid of all those other junks, right? The, all the other idols that are with you, turn your hearts only to God. And they're doing the, you know, the Nasev Nishma thing, Na'avod, Menishma. We will serve Hashem. We will listen to Hashem. Hashem is our God. Pasuk Chafei by Yechroz Yeshua Brit La'am by Yom Ahu by Yasem Lachoku Mishpat Bishchem, and Yeshua made a covenant with the nation on that day, and he made a chok and a mishpat there in Shchem. So, first of all, the whole idea of the the covenant that is in front of God because we have the um, the Aron there, we said at the beginning in Pasuk Aleph. Now there's a strange element coming in here, the Choku Mishpat. What is this Choku Mishpat? So Rashi says he made, he took the laws of the Torah and he reminded them of them and they accepted them, right? Um, but it's not so clear what it means here. And the Gemara has a whole discussion, which we don't have time to go into, that he actually made certain laws and regulations about land in Israel that were accepted in different um, rules. Chavav is a very strange passage. Because first of all, what is it saying? Yeshua wrote these things in the Sefer of the Torah of God. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Sefer Torah is done. Like he couldn't add to the Sefer Torah. So what does that mean? So apparently the, the general run of the Refarshim is that he made a scroll of the different laws that he had um, brought forth, and he added it into the place where the Torah scroll was, right? And in addition, 
he took a great rock, and don't forget Yeshua and the rocks. You know, there's lots of monuments, Yeshua and the rocks all over the, the story. And he placed it there under an Allah, which was in the Migdash Hashem. And that's very strange because the Migdash Hashem is in Shiloh, and now they're in Shem. And what is an Allah? So Rashi says, Mezuzah um, Tapesach, doorpost. Right, but a lot of the Persians say Ayla is usually a tree, but we can put a tree in the Mikdash because that's kind of uh, idolatrous. So there's a lot of Midrashim on this. One of them is that the same tree that was in Shem from the time of Yaakov, right? That tree is where they were, that's where this gathering was. And so they put the ark there and they put the scroll together with this great rock monument in that place. So this is really um, the end of this section. One more Pasuk to sum that up, Pasuk of Zion, Mayom Yeshua Kalaam, Hine Ha'evan Azoti Yebanu Leida, Ki Hishamat Kalim Mayashema Shidiberi Manu, Baitabacham Leida, Pentachachachim Belokechem. He says this rock, which is such a strange thing, right? This rock is going to be our witness because it heard all of the things that God said, and it's going to be a, a monument to remind you so that you will never be able to deny your God. So we do have other uh, examples of inanimate objects that are used as witnesses. You don't have to go further than Ha'azinu, Ashamayim, Matabera, Petishma Ha'aretz, Hidwefi. That's the, the Shamayim and the Aretz, the land and the sky, are going to be witnesses for Moshe's song. We see Yeshayahu says something similar in Paragalev, Shimi Shamayim, Hazini Eretz. So the rock is also, it's going to be a witness, a permanent witness of what you committed yourselves to do, that you should never forget that. And Yeshua sends them all home. And this is basically the end of the interaction between Yeshua and the people. And just to sort of evaluate what Yeshua wants to do here, what is his purpose in the whole history lesson? It's to remind them. And we have this, this concept, it's also in Hanzino, a very, very interesting thought about the Haggadah, right? The whole point of the Haggadah is to keep telling our children what happened. It is the most, uh, I think probably without exception, maybe Hanukkah, it's the most, um, it, it's the ritual of Jewish life that's the most commonly kept among the non-religious. I think Pesach, Seder, and the, Hag and the Haggadah, and Hanukkah. And it's, a, it's such an important part of our Judaism to tell over what happened, tell over the stories. We were lucky this week, we got to listen to Miss um, Serena Quint, Holocaust survivor. It's also a fulfillment of Zechori Motolab. Remember what happened. Remembering is very, very important. The Jewish people, don't forget. That is very critical. And our remembrances are our guidelines for the future. When we remember what happened in the past, we remember how Hashem took care of us. We remember what happened to us, and we know that we have to stick to our Kaddish Baruch Hu in the future. And that's why we have to look back. You know, I remember um, Rabbi Wine, Beryl Wine, uh, I heard him speak uh, many, many years ago when he first came to Israel. He said, you know, when you're driving, if you don't look in the rear view mirror, you don't, you really can't see what, what you're doing. You have to look in the rear view mirror. And that's a beautiful metaphor for learning the past. And Yoshua uses that as an educational tool, a master educator to show them what everything that God has done for them and to put them in this place where they say, no, 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 only Hashem, we're only gonna serve Hashem and they're ready to commit. And he knows that this is going to be a great temptation in the future. And he wants them to make this commitment and he does what he can to put that in their hearts and on the monument and set them up for future 
of serving God. The end of the story, and it was after these things that Yeshua bin Nun died. Evet Hashem. Isn't that interesting? 110 years old. After a whole safer where Yeshua is Misharet Moshe, and Moshe is Evet Hashem. After 28 years of faithful service, HaKadosh Baruch who gives him this beautiful title of Evet Hashem. He has worked for it. He has earned it. And he has gotten it. Ever Hashem Yeshua, 110 years old. Pasuk Lamed Ba'ik Bu'u Tobi Vul Nachato B'Tim Natserach Hashem Bahar Afrayit Yitzvon L'Hargash. Many, many, many midrashim here. Let me just see where we're doing good time. We have two minutes. Okay, so he is buried in Har Afrayim, which is his territory, in this place called Tim Natserach. It's also called Tim Natcheres, and the midrash says Cheres is an expression for the sun, and the Medrash says that they put a picture of the sun on his grave, which is a little bit unusual, and they said, woe to the man who stopped the sun who was laid into a grave. Now, we don't know what Hargaash is, but the Chazal say Hargaash is another Medrash. Hargaash today in modern Hebrew is a volcano. And the Chazal say, we don't have any indication here that there was any mourning. Yehoshua, who did so much for you, 28 years led you faithfully, took you everywhere, led you in and out of battles. No mourning. It says that they mourned Moshe, they mourned Aaron. No mourning. So an anger, Hashem caused the mountain there to erupt. And why didn't they mourn Yehoshua? The Medrash says everyone was busy. Everyone was busy with their vineyards and their fields. And, you know, um, what did Voltaire say? I must cultivate my garden. How can you be so ungrateful to the leader of the Jewish people who took care of you so faithfully and not to mourn him? This is a very, very great indictment of the Jewish people and their ingratitude to Yeshua. They say, yes, yes, we're grateful to God, but where's your gratitude? Yeshua. Very, very sad. Very, very sad. Pasuk Lamed Aleph. By Yavod Yisrael Hashem, kol yimei Yeshua, v'chol yimei azkeinu asher yarifi yomei machari Yeshua, asher yadu et kol maase Hashem asher asal Yisrael. Now, the children of Israel served Hashem all the days of Yeshua and all the days of the elders that lived long after Yeshua and who knew all the maase Hashem that did for, that they did for Israel, right? Rashi says they live long days, but not long years, right? So it's a strange thing. It's a very, very strange thing. It's a very not clear. What is going to happen to the leadership of Israel after the death of Yeshua? Moshe, we just saw that in last week's parasha in Pinchas, Moshe is so concerned that the Jewish people should not be like a flock without a shepherd. And here Yeshua dies and there's elders. And they're, they're all serving God because they all remember what God did. But after that, in Sefer Shotim, what will be? Now, interestingly enough, we end with this very interesting story, Lamed Bet. All of a sudden, we're going back to the story of the bones of Yosef. They took them from Egypt, they buried them in Shechem, in that section where Yaakov uh, uh, bought from Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred kesita, and that was the um, inheritance of the children of Yosef. Till today, the Kever Yosef is there in Shechem, in that dreadful, uh, got some dreadful neighbors in Shechem. It's a very, very sad thing. But what's the connection here? It's like full circle. Yosef was sold from Shechem, and he's returned to Shechem. And what does it mean? B'nai Israel took them out of Mitzrayim. Who took them out of Mitzrayim? It was Moshe Rabbeinu, who worried about getting the bones of Yosef. And the Chazal say, the person who completes the action gets the credit. And Moshe has died and wasn't able to complete the action. So there is a full circle there of the bones of Yosef 
And then Lamed Gimel Elazar Ben Aaron made Vayikbaruto Begivat Pinchas Benoash and Mitan Lo Bahar Ephraim. So Elazar also dies. We're being shown the commitments of the Jewish people on the one hand, and on the other hand, a vacuum is opening up in leadership because Yeshua has died, Elazar has died, and we don't have a name. We know that Pinchas is around, and Pinchas is going to appear in Sefer Shoftim, but we don't really have a direct successor, which is going to be a problem. Why is he buried in the hill of Pinchas? And these are Kohanim, they shouldn't have any Nachala. So the Chazal say, um, He married a woman and she had Nachala, and he inherited her Nachala. And that's where he buried his father, Elazar. Chazak, chazak, benit chazek. Drink your l'chaim, ladies. You 